Hello, this is Patrick, and it's time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source for high-quality, organic, bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. This holiday season, consider planning for a few good herbals as you deck the halls. Many of the natural decorations we love make wonderful, medicinal, or magical herbal treats. Today, we'll be talking about the practical herbalist approach to Yuletide decor. Now, here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism Radio. Radio. Woohoo! Holidays. Holidays. <laughs> yes, the stress and the eggnog and everything else. That seems oh, yes. <laughs> but, you know, decorating a house is a whole lot of fun, especially when you're bringing in, you're bringing in so many bits of the wilderness. It right? can be. I mean, yep. you know, yep. the, the tree, the wreaths, the swags, mm-hmm. the mistletoe, the, the branches of holly. Yeah. The poinsettias you get because someone gave you them. Yeah, <laughs> so many poinsettias. I love the Christmas cactuses. Friend of mine has hers in full bloom right now. It's yes. all beautiful pink mm-hmm. with delicate white hearts. So gorgeous. Curdy. Yeah, the Very cactuses curdy. you don't really need to reuse because you just keep them, take care of them. They'll be and good. They can, it seems they can live for so long. Uh, the one I have is was my grandmother's. Yes. God knows yes. where she even got hers, but it's a monster. You oh, keep, I had a gorgeous one, and then I didn't water it well enough when we first moved out to the state, and Aww. I lost it. You lost it. I'm so sad. sad. So you spend all this time bringing in all of this bits of the wilderness, bits of the wilderness into your home, <laughs> and then the twenty fifth hits, and, and everybody's like, like piled up on their street corner, all the trees yeah. and poinsettias. It's yeah. awful. Yes, basically, absolutely the, awful. So this this show is really about what can you do as you're making, yeah, yeah, as you're making your choices about which. Bits of the wilderness to bring in. That's right. Let's think about how you can use those bits later. For good later on, well, herbalists yeah. are scavengers. Mm-hmm. There's no two ways about it. So let's start with the Christmas tree. Yes, that's yeah, the that's big, the big one. That's the so biggie. The big that's one. a giant one. Well, the first thing to th- before you even buy it is if you're planning on reusing it, making make sure it's an organic one because yeah, organic a lot of these best. can be sprayed particularly for people that live in states in which these trees don't grow natively. So they could be ported from the state we live in, Oregon, (laughs) to where we are and sprayed with all kinds of stuff along the way. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. If you want to reuse it, make sure it's a good organic or it's been wildcrafted in a wonderful place that hasn't been sprayed by the Forest Service. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a hard one to find out. For a lot of people, because most people you can ask the folks at the tree lot. Yeah, Yeah. that's about the best you can do. I mean, out here in the west, organic is king, so it's not going to be as hard. But Mm -hmm. as you travel across the rest of the country, there isn't as much an emphasis and love for all things organic and tiny farm size, community growing, and all of that. Right. So you know, you can ask. Especially if you get the tree flocked at the at the yeah. Don't get don't get a flocked tree and then try to use it with this. Yeah, that's (laughs) not bad. When you put the white. Snowy yeah, stuff on yeah. it. <laughs> oh gosh. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're gonna be using your Christmas tree and you've gotten an organic one or at least one that you know has been grown without chemicals and has not been sprayed. 
don't spray anything else on it. Right. You know, let's keep those, keep it clean. Mm-hmm. You can certainly hang everything on it, hang garlands and all your, your stuff. Don't throw glitter on it. Right. Don't cover it in glitter because yeah. you don't want to ingest that at any point in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you pull up your tree, a lot of people like to trim it to make it a nice size. Mm-hmm. And those trims, yeah. that's the, that's the tips, the tips. that yes. you would want to use. Oh, spruce tips. Spruce tip tea or Douglas fir tip tea, very high in vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pine, some people like to get the pines. And those pine needles are also very high in antioxidants. So those are good things to consider. And uh, um, we'll have a recipe on our site uh, once I put it up there about (laughs) how to make your own uh, infused uh, conifer infused brandy. That'll Mm. be a fun, easy one just as you bring in the tree to use or you know some people will trim theirs and use their bits for swag yeah. or they make their own wreath with the leftovers and which you can then take down later because mm-hmm. honestly they're already as, a dry. Swag, as a swag or a wreath it's really just you're drying the herbs you yeah. are drying, you're drying the herbs, so. Yeah. so don't use a bunch of glue to adhere pine cones instead use you know strings don't, and things to adhere don't spray with arsenic yeah don't no. spray anything on it <laughs> yeah, yeah, the festive holiday arsenic <laughs> it's wise as you're choosing your tree to think about things like I know that Doug fir, you don't want to drink more than like a cup of Doug fir tip tea a day because it will firm up the bowels as it were. Ah. So it's excellent during those really heavy, greasy, fat laden, delicious Christmas meals mm-hmm. or holiday meals mm-hmm. to have your Doug fir tea. And that those days you might want even two because right. if you're prone to having diarrhea afterwards or, you know, runnier problems afterwards, mm-hmm. the Doug fir tea will help counteract that for you. Yeah. That's so a good it won't one. be as unpleasant. But for the rest of, you know, for daily use, one yeah. one is good. But I don't think that's a problem with spruce and pine tips. I don't think no, they, they no, don't I've cause that. I've never noticed that one. Yeah. Doug mm-hmm. fir, I think, is very specific. And it's, I mean, Doug fir is its own genre or some right. species and anyway. Can, so. You can take those tips also and soak them in an oil of some kind, like mm-hmm. an olive oil or almond oil, and turn it into a very nice healing salve or just a healing yep. oil if you want to. It's those a good botanical good. oil to use. And we do have recipes on our site about how to make re- general botanical oils. So yeah. there's and that. And if you were to take one of those, like a pine tip, turn it into a nice oil, mm-hmm. and you're using oil that is edible, mm-hmm. you can also use that in your cooking. There. So you yes. could add a little bit, you know, little teaspoon little of zest, you know, cup to your salad. Sure. Or, I think that would yeah, be really delicious. That would be nice with a little citrus. Besides all of the things you can do by making teas and infusions, there's the well, actual. Well, and all the tips. And, yeah. The tree itself, when you're done, yeah, you've taken your decorations off. So besides off. all of that, you've taken your decorations off. You're going to now you know, dispose of the tree. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So what, what things can you do? And of course, first of all, if you've bought a smaller tree, like if we buy one, it'll be like one of the three foot or four foot trees. Mm-hmm. You can then use a large portion of those branches, just like you would the tips. Right. So you can, you can dry those. Dried, yeah. The needles are Exactly. Dried. So okay. you can, you can harvest some of those and collect them. If you've gone for the six foot. Like us, full, my family. Full tree, you're probably not going to use that many needles. That's a lot. No. no. So. <laughs> but that's a very acid <laughs> those needles are very Mm -hmm. acid so taking those out and i put those underneath my blueberry bushes because yeah that's a good idea yeah Yeah. you can do that yeah definitely take those those needles out Mm -hmm. another option is if your tree was well watered and didn't dry out too much you can and this is kind of funny but you can take that same tree and put it out in the yard and uh decorate it for the animals so you can put on 
garlands um, of popcorn. Yeah, garlands millet, of popcorn, millet, suet, uh, Cheerios, suet a lot bunches. of grains, that kind of stuff. You can do mm-hmm. peanut butter pine cones. Yep. And you can watch as a lot of your fur, uh, feathery time. friends start to come in and join, especially mm-hmm. in the deep winter where a lot of areas, you know, have a lack of food. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, depending on how warm your climate is, you could also put small hummingbird feeder on there because Mm -hmm. some of us, like in our climate, the hummingbirds. ones. Yeah. 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 The other thing too, so when that's all done and you've you've exhausted that, then, I mean, there's the, we always, we were starting this up when when we stopped getting trees and that was the annual Christmas tree bonfire. Right, right. You know, that was always the fun one. Yeah. Um, You can always use the wood for other things. Um, You were saying, Candace, that there was a, Something with the bark? Yeah, you can strip the bark. So if you if you go through and take off the branches, the mm-hmm. branches, the smaller branches can also be used in tea. Mm-hmm. It's just like the tips, although they're, it's going to have a slightly different property to it. I can't remember. Those were when usually used more. Yeah, I think the, the bark was more used for topically as an antiseptic, mm. if I remember correctly, and for things like athlete's foot and yeasty okay. conditions. Because of all the sap in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes and sense. And then you can strip the inner bark or the bark from the trunk itself. Mm-hmm. You can use your branches um, depending on how thick they are. If they're like as thick as your thumb to pinky or so, you can use them to make magical wands for mm-hmm. you or your kids. You right. Know? And you could do that as a more serious practice and discipline, but can also be a playful thing, mm-hmm. you know, with your kids. Um, you can also, the branches that are Probably very, like as thick as your big toe. Those mm-hmm. ones are going to be the ones that you could then cut to make runes. If you cut them straight or on an angle, you can make runes or other pieces mm-hmm. with them for fun. Natural you know, poker for, chips. Yep, exactly. Some natural poker chips. <laughs> and you can cut I've them into people small. people do earrings and stuff with them. Oh, yeah. 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 Work, yeah. Sure. Like beads, or a couple yep. of holes yep. or yeah, so, buttons. Yeah, and a pendant. Yep. Yeah, like How pretty is that? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of things you can do that way with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, so you could, and then you can take, you know, the dried tips and turn those into tea, dry tea mixes that you can then give to your friends mm-hmm. for through the, you know, through the winter. Sure. So that's another good one. Which is really good for colds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in your yeah. garden, of course, you've just got yourself some, some poles, bean poles. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. You can use the branches to, for your bolt, your beans and peas. Yep. And honestly, I mean, in our, cl- in our climate, Usually, what is it, about the end of February, January, you start to plant peas mm-hmm. somewhere in there. So, you know, it's not that long that your branches are standing around waiting to go into yeah. the garden. I uh, saw uh, one, it was one of my mom's friends. She took the, she had her six foot tree and she, about three foot high, she stripped off all the branches from the middle to the top. Mm-hmm. And then, st- oh, you've seen this. No. And no. then she digs a hole down with her post hole digger. And she sticks the tree top down with the branches kind of sticking out, uh-huh. right? And that's where she puts her peas in the ground. Oh, so that's it just really smart. grows up through there. Yeah. A lot of work, I thought. But yeah. it was like, <laughs> that that's worked. a neat idea. <laughs> Australia. No, but it was kind of neat, I thought. That's a neat idea. Yeah. yeah. And if all this else fails and you really don't want to go through all this, um, check your local municipalities because there are – Fundraisers. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Boy Scouts and a few other uh, people will do uh, Christmas tree drives. High schools will do it. Uh-huh. And they, I think they get something for the wood, but I'm not sure what it yeah, is. They, so. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that before too. That's oh, a good yeah. idea. So it's better than the trash. Yeah, it is. Those of us who have fire rings or like you guys have wood burning fireplace, yep. I don't know how much you really want to 
burn something as pie it's pitchy. Gotta, it's got to wait for a year before yeah. we, we put it in the fireplace. But yeah, if you've stripped down, gotten the needles off, you can really mm-hmm. cut yeah. it down and set it aside. And, and we've we've shaved off the the bark before and let mm-hmm. that dry and it curls up and it makes a nice little fire starter. Fire starters, yeah. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about the drying branches could be potentially good little fire starters too. Mm-hmm. We've used them as the tinder portion yeah. on outdoor bonfires, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So let's move on to the poinsettia and the poinsettia is well, you toxic. Wanna, you want to go right to the poinsettia? You want to go, go to right the in. exact opposite. We're going to jump right in. Jump so, right in. It is toxic, super toxic. Yeah. So you're you're keeping your, your Christmas cactus, and those are easy to keep. Poinsettias, keeping those might not be as easy for those of us who don't live in an environment. Right. Yeah, the subtropics of like Central, Amer- Central, Me- Central America and Mexico, those areas. Sure. Uh-huh. That's where poinsettia grows naturally. Yeah, and they grow like weeds all over the place. So if you live right. there, you can just put it right back <laughs> in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you don't, it needs to be kept between 65 and 75 degrees. Mm-hmm. And if you want it to flower around again, then uh, in October, you like cover it with a box or keep it in complete darkness for 12 hours at a time and then let it have light and then another 12 hours, and that will start the red uh, colored leaves around the flower, which is actually the yellow part. But it is it is toxic. I know it can be used medicinally, uh, but you really need to know what you're doing, and this is not within the realm of this podcast to talk about that particular one. Yeah, that would be more advanced medicinal. Yeah. Flower but essence. Can, but you can use it as a magical herb, and you can mm-hmm. use it to make flower essence, which is perfectly safe and non-toxic. Yep. And if you figure out how to... Keep these poinsettias going all year round. Your friends walk in the room and they see a poinsettia in, in June that your cat hasn't knocked over and destroyed, as was my experience. They will be so wowed by your prowess. They'll be impressed. Yes. Quite impr- I'd be yeah. impressed. Yeah. I'd if you feel like, I just want something to gloat over, this would be a nice way to start. So, so if you're planning to make the flower essence, here's how I would do it. Okay. When the poinsettia comes into your house, when it's fresh and and most youngest, if mm-hmm. you will, strongest. Its energy is the strongest. Mm-hmm. I would give it a few hours, take it into a, a space in your home or a room where it's just quiet, calm, where the plant can be. Mm-hmm. Set a dish of water near it. Ask for permission. Ask keep it, it away from cats. It. Yeah, keep it in a space where it won't get knocked over and mm-hmm. the water won't get knocked over. Right, right. But set a small dish of water um, next to it or nestled into it. Not so that the leaves or flower petals are in the water, mm-hmm. just so it's right next to it and the bowl is in as much contact as it can be with the poinsettia with, again, not getting any of the plants, plant material in the, in the flower. Right, right, right. And then let it sit there and be for... Anywhere from a half an hour to several hours, mm-hmm. you kind of have to go with it. This is an energetic medicine, so you're going to be listening to what feels right. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done with that, you take that water and you put it into your container and you can use that as your mother essence. Okay. And from that, you can then continue on just as you would with other mother essences. And you're using it for? And you would use it for helping to connect. One of the things that poinsettia is good at is connecting the heart and throat chakras, which allows you allows you emotionally, I guess you could say, to learn how to express what's in your heart without feeling inhibited or feeling shy about it. Mm. So it can give you the confidence to say, yes, this is what I want, or no, that's not what I want. Mm-hmm. It can also give you the confidence and the wherewithal to be able to make your actions stick. So you can if, you've, if there's something that you've wanted to do and you've, it's been in your heart to do it for a long time, but something's been stopping you, 
poinsettia flower essence or just poinsettia in your life can help you take that action. Hmm. If you wanted to use it and not make the flower essence, but you wanted to do get some similar, you can get that same energy by using it in like a medicine bag or a mojo bag. Okay. And to do that, you can do that at any point throughout but as the leaves are, you know, as, as it's it's done with its the most of its energy before the leaves are completely bad or completely dried up, take a couple leaves off, let them dry, and then use those in your practice. Mojo bag. Yeah. Another thing for the holidays that can go in that mojo bag would be mistletoe. Yes. And mistletoe, mistletoe is another one of those. If you don't know what you're doing with mistletoe, either American or European, you can hurt yourself. Right. So again, not within the bounds of this podcast to talk about that specific one. But that would be fine. And if you wanted to make a candle, homemade candle, and put some mistletoe in there is an interesting little botanical thing in the wax. That's Yeah, cool. you can take your mistletoe and you can actually just leave it wherever you've got it hanging until mm-hmm. February, which is the time when we traditionally dip candles anyway. Sure. So at the beginning For of February, mass. right near Groundhog's Day, uh-huh. you go ahead and dip your candles and then you can use pieces of mistletoe to help make them pretty mm-hmm. yeah that's a fun thing to do one. one more last little piece here is holly and holly is put into a lot of reeds or you know swags or you know regular christmas decorations my mom would sometimes the crafty one in the family would take the holly with the berry still on it and just stuff little chunks of those in the tree itself right you know because yeah. of that pretty uh the leaves are shining they would the gloss it would all the light she put a ton of lights on her tree <laughs> so these glossy leaves would reflect the lights and that yeah. was really nice uh but if for as a cat owner and our neighbor when we first moved into our house had had 20 cats oh wow and they loved to poop in the driveway they loved digging into my garden they just had these interesting behaviors that i found to be annoying so the we had a holly tree in our mm-hmm. house and i would take the branches and then put them you know, I'd put the seeds in the bed and then put the holly branches on top. Yeah. And those are prickly. So they could, you know, they weren't digging around and there was a physical barrier. Yeah. And they might be a nice barrier for some of your dry or your indoor plants indoor as well. Plants, yes. I don't know how much I'd want to put them into the pot, but maybe around the pot, around a little it, yeah. bit in. But I know that holly will leach chemicals that don't allow other plants to they grow They are allelopathic. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Right. So that's something, you know, um, before, just before a rain would be a bad time to put the, the holly on there. But, you know, after it's been, after it's dried out a bit, yeah. then it's, that's perfectly safe to use. Cause really right. what you're using is the spiky part of it. Right. Yeah. And if you're using them in your indoor plants, then, you know, setting them so that it would be hard for your plants to get into the pot to start digging in the uh-huh. first place, then you're protecting your plants in that you're not getting any of the chemicals from the holly leaching out but you're preventing your right cats from getting in yeah. there and that is a, a good thing to keep in mind if you have a spot in your garden for instance that you don't you don't want things to grow like on a pathway mm-hmm. putting those holly um, leaves there when they're nice and fresh that would be a good choice and then that will leach down onto the soil to it's a natural mm-hmm. way to, to for weed control which is a really excellent thing to do in the winter if you live in a rainy climate like mm-hmm. ours or a climate where there's not an excess amount of snow right because you get them in there and then once comes spring you can right sweep them off aside so that's what i did in my garden the the pathways i had a, i had a walnut tree which is also lelopathic and the lelopathic means that it's it's kind of like a birth control for the plant itself so you don't mm-hmm. have baby hollies or baby uh, walnuts growing up underneath it so it kind of deadens the soil a bit 
So if you, I would put my holly leaves and my black walnut in the pathways in the winter. And then after the holly leaves had already leached out all of their allelopathic uh, uh, chemicals, then I would take the, the kind of the skeletons of them, mm-hmm. they're, they're starting to fade a bit and put that on top of the newly turned soil with the leaf, with the seeds in it. And there you nice, go. Yeah. So I don't want to step on that in the spring. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the cats exactly. don't want to step on it in, in, in the spring yeah. when it's in the bed. So it worked out really nicely. Yeah. I don't know if that would work for dogs. I, they it seem depends to be pretty, on the dog. Yeah, they seem for the most part to be pretty much like, eh, whatever, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, it depends on the dog. Oh. Some, are, some are a little more delicate in the paws. Yeah, some of them they do not care. They're bulldozers. Yep. So holly, medicinally or magically rather, is a feminine tree and it's extremely protective. Oh, so sure. Mm. If you're looking at doing again candles, mojo bags, putting a charm near your bedside, it's an excellent one. Particularly if you're feeling like you've been bombarded or attacked or. Mm-hmm. Like you don't hold your space, Holly's a good one to help you hold your space. Mm-hmm. It's also been used in hoodoo and other traditions for men who want to attract women. They walk around with a sprig of holly in their lapel, and that's supposed to make them much more attractive to women. Oh, I don't know if it a works. Boot near, but, but yeah, that's like what a boot. that's for. Oh, yeah, near. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so after you're done with your Christmas party, you can. Hold on to your holly, make a boot in your and go to your New Year's Eve party. There yeah. you go. Smooches galore. Yes, exactly. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, and then, oh, I was going to tell you, also mistletoe is a masculine and protective one. That one's for fertility, though. Mm. So if you're using mistletoe, if you are looking to get pregnant, looking mm-hmm. to expand your family, mm-hmm. you would want to maybe include mistletoe in your practice. Mm-hmm. And that can help draw some of the energy that you want. It's a very active There's energetically. There's lots of uses for these plants. Yeah. Well, for more information, links, and resources we mentioned on this program, check out our show notes on realherbalismradio.com. Make sure you sign up for our free newsletter, which includes links to recipes, how-tos, and our eBooks on the plants that we mentioned here and more detailed information on topics that we discuss on this podcast as we publish them on thepracticalherbalist.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Follow us on Pinterest and join us in our conversations on Twitter. Herbalism 101. This is part of the show where Sue and Candace answer a listener question or teach you about an herbal definition or term covering basic to advanced herbal knowledge. If you would like the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. If we choose your question for the show, we will send you a free PDF ebook, Natural Nutrition by the Practical Herbalist, currently available for $4.99 at the Practical Herbalist store. Here's Candace and Sue to discuss this show's Herbalism 101 topic. After answering this show's Herbal 101, we realized we had a lot to share. For today's show, we decided to skip herbs in the news in favor of sharing our long and fruitful discussion with you. Today's question comes from Jerry. Jerry writes, I've been interested in herbalism for some time now, and your podcast has opened my eyes to more than I could ever have imagined. I was inspired to begin brewing my own medicinal brew. As I'm a novice, I was wondering if you had any books you'd recommend for someone such as myself. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, that was sweet to say. I'm so glad that we inspired someone. Yeah. And boy, howdy. 
are there books? There, oh ton. gosh, yeah, ton. that was actually this is this is a lot of research went into this question mm-hmm. only because we had to do a lot of arguing over eliminating titles. There were so many. Well, just deciding what do you mean, my dear, when you say brewing? Are you talking exactly. about beer brewing? Are you talking about mead brewing? Are you talking about wine brewing? Are you talking about brewing up a cup of tea? Exactly. Wherefore are you going with this? Are we talking about purely medicinal or are we getting into some magical tonics? Perhaps brewing over a question. Boil, boil, toil and trouble. (laughs) That's that's it. So we took took all of those and decided that we'll just cover all the bases of brewing. All things we cover. So we're going to get the easy and obvious out of the way. Brewing beers and medicinal beers and wines and meads. Mm -hmm. One of the books I love for that is Radical Brewing. Right, which is on our website. There's a little link you can look at and check out the review. We'll have links to all of these also on the show notes. But on the Practical Herbalist, you can find an actual review for Radical Brewing. Mm -hmm. And on that one, Mosher does a good job. If you've got the basics of brewing, if you know how to brew beer or you've already read a Charles Papazian or one of the other Palmer's How to Brew you know, the simple basic guides, and you've done that, then Mosher is a really good place to go for exploring beyond just hopped beers. Mm-hmm. And the recipe that we have on our site for the dandelion Yeah, we've beer, got a dandelion That's a pretty there. simple one. It too. is. It is. So that would be another good way to start. And dandelion yeah. is cheap and easy to get a hold of. Oh, yeah. Usually <laughs> your own front yard or mm-hmm. you know, if you're buying it online, it's it's a very inexpensive and of course, uh, if you want tips on what to look for when you're buying your dandelion, what herbal folio are you going to go? The dandelion herbal folio by the practical herbalist. That's dandelion. a shameless plug. Oh, shameless plug. You knew I had to do shameless it. Commerce. Sorry. <laughs> shameless and, commerce. Yes. So we do have little ebooks online that you can go check out. And they introduce you to the individual herbs just one at a time walk you through which we think personally is the best way to get to know herbalism in general is by introducing yourself like a friend to each of these herbs yes yes so and then the second one if you really want to get into really doing herbal beers and wines and meads and maybe trying some traditional recipes that would have been used century or two ago Mm -hmm. often by folk in the country you can take a look at sacred um, and sacred and herbal healing beers by Stephen Herod Brunner. Mm. It's another good one. But yeah. again, that's both of those are assuming you you kind of know the basics of how to brew alcohols of varying types. So you were talking uh, earlier before we started recording about if you're just starting uh, and sterilization is your issue, like you think think that might be loosey goosey of the mead and the beer and the The meads and fruit wines are a better way to start. If you're not going to be extremely detail oriented about your sterilization, Mm -hmm. if you don't enjoy making sure that every last germ has been eradicated, you probably don't want to start with brewing beer because brewing beer does not work well with bacteria. And and that's really just because of the alcohol content we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Beer ferments it and creates a much lower alcohol content than a Mm -hmm. mead or wine. So that's why, um, you can be a little, a little less fastidious, but that's not saying that when you we can't grow, be sloppy. You can't <laughs> be sloppy, way. yeah. But, but, but a little, a little, a little problem uh, will amplify itself in beer brewing, whereas in winemaking, you may not, may not even notice it. Right. Ah, uh, and in yeah. mead making in general, same, then, same, same thing. So same mead wine, wine. using some kind of energy. Okay. Yeah, fruit right. wines. But and our fruit meads, wines yeah. and meads are, uh, yeah, because of the higher alcohol content. Mm-hmm. But it nice. requires more patience. 
Yeah, you you to get a wine or a mead that you'd like to actually drink, it can take up to two years before you really have something that's going to taste good. Mm-hmm. Something to be happy to share. Whereas with beer brewing, within four weeks, you're having beer. Right. So yeah. there's a big difference. Yeah. So that also people have to think about where they're going to be if they're just if you're in college and you're just Timbuktuing around, then getting your staff. What you're saying it was about eighty bucks to get yourself started on any of these kits. Yeah. You get yourself started if you think you're going to be, you know, wherever you're living in your apartment by June, you're going to be moving. Mead's probably not your way to go or no. wine no. ain't your way to go. Because no, you don't yeah. want to jostle the stuff after you bottled it and racked it and moved around. You- yeah. Having moved once myself with a lot of fruit wines and meads in the carboys still, mm-hmm. it doesn't make for good mead. It, it, you end up with a lot more cloudiness oh. and it's just not a great... Right. It's preferable to not. And then we should talk a little bit about supplies because Mm -hmm. uh, this is a preservation technique. So I imagine that the reason some of these were made is because someone had a lot of grapes. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of grapes and they had to figure out what to do with them. Apples, any pears. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, That's why I started the first year I did it. It was because I had 150 pounds of pears and my family doesn't eat canned pears. Uh Uh-huh. And they can only eat so many dried pears. I could only get my small child at that time to eat so many at a time. Right, right. <laughs> so, which is good. Which yeah. is good. Right. Moderation so, is the key. There. So after the first 50 pounds, I'm looking at the rest going, oh, my God, what do I do with this? <laughs> right. Let's make wine. Yeah. Let's see how that goes. That's so. how it started. Yeah. Yep. So you made the pear wine, but you also made a hard cider with a perry. Yeah. Which is yeah. something else that you can easily do, especially with apples. And okay. You don't need yeah. to have anything special there. You, know, you just need your brewing equipment and buckets, you know, the buckets that are covered with airlocks and such. But it's almost it's so easy to make a good apple hard cider. And is that short like you're making a beer? Um, you don't have to boil it the same way. You don't have to do a lot of the same things you do with a beer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's basically once you have the, the cider, mm-hmm. then you're basically fermenting the cider. And you typically, you can get other yeasts that you can buy, but a lot of times you, there's so much natural yeast in the apples, you know, the apple skins and stuff that you end up, they'll, it'll start to ferment. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a fine line between creating apple cider mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and apple vinegar. <laughs> right, right. That was my first thing to make, yeah. apple cider vinegar. I right. was like excited about it. Yeah. Like, well, oh, it, look, it's slimy. And yay. it's really great. I mean, your own apple oh, yeah, is awesome. Yeah. So that's another thing. But, but yeah, back on the brewing side of things, there's just, it just depends on which path you want to go down um, or both paths, if you like, and then how you want to incorporate um, your the herbal side of things. So mm-hmm. in the wine mead making, it's more of a preservation of the of the food or that you get in your harvest season. Whereas beer making, it's more along the lines of you want to make a drink specifically to match an herb that you might have. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's dandelion, right? Um, maybe it's 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 spruce tips. Maybe it's mm-hmm. something else for bittering that isn't uh, specific. Something hops. other than hops, right? Something other yeah, than hops, yeah. Right? So that's a that's a place where you can really explore. And the radical brewing does a great job of. Getting you into that idea that oh you don't necessarily have to have hops. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well the uh, complete mead maker is another one that we have on our website. It's a link that people can look over it, and that's a that's really a good basic book. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good getting started. Mm-hmm. It actually really does a yeah. nice job with that. With any of these books, the nice thing about like the basic mead maker and um, the Palmer book for um, for brewing or Bayesian, they also talk about what happens when you mess up. Uh-huh. How to fix the problem, how to avoid it the next time. That's or, great. Um if you like for instance, beer making one of the most common infections um tastes like banana. Huh. So when you have a beer and you crack it open and you're so excited to drink it and, and you drink it and you're like, 
Why does this pale ale taste like bananas? Because you have uh, a particular infection that's very, very common. Oh. Because you didn't sanitize your gear completely. Mm-hmm. So, so be careful. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are, what about uh, winemaking? Are there good books for winemaking? Well, too, the, the, that, we, the, the, the if you're looking for like fruit wines, there's a Terry Terry Gary. I think is how you say it. G A R E Y. Anyway, mm-hmm. she made she wrote one called "The Joy of Home Winemaking," which is a really nice, easy, mm-hmm. good starter guide with lots of recipes for fruit wines. Right. For actual vintning, like real grape wines, where they don't add sugar or honey to help with the fermentation. I don't know. Mm. I don't have a, vin- a vineyard, so I, I don't have that level of grapes right. and that st- type of grapes. I mean, my bumper crop of grapes is all table mm-hmm. so that you wouldn't make those into that type of wine. Yeah. So. And if you're just you know starting off, it's also fun just to do an infused alcohol, get a brandy or a, a vodka or something like that and, and add some herbs into that and a little bit of sugar and yeah. And you've got a very quick infused Don't you brandier. have a book that talks about those? Is it Drunken Botanist? The Drunken Botanist, yeah. yes, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's a splendid little book. And we also have a, cup, a couple of uh, infused brandy recipes on our site that are really fun. Okay, so now we've covered the easy brewing, the alcohols. Right. Let's get to the rest of the other types of herbal brews. Okay, right. And, and, and we should also mention for novice Please make sure if you're wildcrafting, you have the right plant. Yes. Yeah. Please, please, please. And what I usually suggest to new people is walk through the, walk through your backyard, walk through your front yard, walk through a forest land and get a good guide, like a Peterson guide. And don't pick things, just identify them, get used to what they look like throughout the season. Just introduce yourself gently into this, into the world and then get used to you know, going to stores and tasting them, how they taste, you know, in a, in, where they've already been identified. But don't just start pulling stuff out of your yard and stick it in your mouth and right. assuming because it's natural, it's going to be good for you. And and after that, stuffing it in a jar and turning it into a brew full of God knows what. Yeah, you know, that's, exactly. that's just not smart. So anyway. So there you go. Once you've got your stuff, your plants, and you know that you've identified them correctly, Mm -hmm. there are some really good starter guides for making herbal medicines. Mm -hmm. And of course, Rosemary Gladstar's, um, that one, what was the name of it? Oh, let's see. Uh, Medicinal Herbs, A Beginning Guide. Yes, thank you. Rosemary Gladstar's Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide. Thank you. This is what happens when you get experienced herbalists sitting around talking, oh, you know, the rosemary... The rosemary. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we all say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah." So that's that's an excellent place to start off if you really are just beginning to learn about herbal techniques and want some recipes to get started, some techniques, some good tips and advice. She's a really good teacher. And if you want to get an idea of what uh, rosemary is like, we have an interview on Show 25, Herbal Rebirth. Um, an interview with Rosemary Glassstar, so you could actually hear her and kind of get the, the maybe the tone of what her book is going to be. Yes, like. yes, and yeah. Her wonderful spirit. Yep. Another one that I've really liked a lot for just the basic how tos of making basic herbal medicines, like what is an, an herbal oil and how do you make it? What is a infusion? How do you make it? Mm-hmm. Would be the James Green Home Medicine Makers yep. Guide. Is that yes. called Guide? The James Green book. <laughs> the James, the James Green. Green book. Oh, the James- the Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook, a home manual yes. by James Green. That's a yeah. really great one. Uh, Dr. Cheryl Tilger, who's one of our local herbalists here, 
she wrote one that we also have reviewed on our site. The uh, It's called Herbal Medicine from the Heart of the Earth. And that's got a lot of very specific, very specific recipes on right. there. Right. Well, what's interesting is, is what everyone can't see, because this isn't a video podcast, is our table is strewn with herbal books. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we're stacked amidst them. It looks like Black's books with us stacked between the mid- middle yes. of all these well, my Hopefully we won't <laughs> get anything knocked over and you know, yeah. hurt someone. Oh. But yeah, if you had the James Green book and then you got Tilger's book, the two of them together would be excellent. Yep. Yep. Because she gives you very specific recipes, but she doesn't tell you all the ins and outs of how to make each yeah. of, you know, how to make the, the oils that are going into this recipe. Mm-hmm. Whereas James Green gives you all the information on how to make each of the types of herbals and what you're looking for and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the two of them together would be they're, excellent. They're a nice, they're a nice combination. They have very different personalities. I think they do their approaches. They know, do, she is, yeah. she is very specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I, I like also reading the way that, green talks about things and yeah. he has such a gentleness that you you know it's so chummy to yeah. read his stuff <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of wisdom out there to glean and it's easy to get overwhelmed it is really easy to go to overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, there was oh, also the david hoffman's oh that's gosh, another one yes. that i know is one I of your favorite david hoffman mm-hmm. books I mean, well, what's the title of that book, guys? Oh, he's got a number of them. I think the first one that I ever read was his Holistic Herbal. Yep, Holistic Herbal, A Safe and Practical Guide to Making and Using Herbal Remedies, mm-hmm. which I believe, I can't remember that if that's... That came out a while ago, yeah. a long time ago. I have Most of his have been out for quite a while. He hasn't yeah. had any new writing in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, yeah I've seen maybe it, 10 years ago, he had another one come out. It was more of a re, yeah. reworking of some of his older stuff. But I have yeah. to say that um, I think I have almost all of the books that he's written. Yeah, And I don't even, I've used them so much that I, I don't even like have to look on my bookshelf to know where they are. It's like, oh, this is that David Hoffman book that I need and just reach automatically for it. <laughs> so that tells yeah. you. Yeah. You know, and of course, they're now grubby and tattered and they yes. have weird <laughs> things for bookmarks sticking out. And so there that a, tells you. There was another one that I know is one of your top ones, Phyllis Bulk. Bulk? Oh, oh, Bach. Bulk. Yes. Phyllis Bach. I use it a lot. She has a prescription for herbal healing book that she has out. It's a hefty yeah. tome. It's a hefty yeah. tome, but I use that one a lot too. Um, and her husband, James, uh, they've written a couple of things together. They also, the first one I ever got was Prescription for Nutritional he- Healing. And they have a couple in that series, very big books, very well organized because it says this one is most helpful for this condition. This one is fairly helpful for this condition. This one's least helpful for this condition. Nice. And then it talks yeah. about um, vitamins to take in conjunction with it. You know, because in a lot of the books, they'll say, well, this, this herb will be wonderful for arthritis. It also can be used for X, Y, Z, you know, it really, is it actually for reals or just kind of? Well, even if it is, what's the rest of the therapy that goes with it? Right. I mean, using chili pepper for arthritis isn't just using it once and it's definitely not just taking it internally. Right. It's using it religiously every day Mm -hmm. and using it in conjunction with other things. Yeah. You know? Definitely. So that I like that. I still use that one. It's very, very helpful. 
Oh, that's nice. So that that covers our basic ones. Probably more than what this questioner asked <laughs> yeah, for. Right. <laughs> there you have it, listeners. Well, <laughs> but we've, we've got a few other realms we can tap into here. Oh, okay. I wasn't kidding about the boil, boil, <laughs> toil and trouble. Have at, my dear. I've got a couple. Of this one that I, I picked up, It's it was published, I think, two years ago, but I picked it up last year, and I've really been loving it, which is, it's called Stick Stones, Roots and Bones by Steph. Stephanie Rose Bird, mm-hmm. and it's about hoodoo. Hoodoo? Yeah. Let's see. And hoodoo, it's, mojo, and conjuring with herbs. Yeah, if you're interested in starting to explore some of the more magical, intentional side of herbalism, mm-hmm. that's an awesome book. I mean, it's not... It's not just voodoo dolls. You know, in fact, actually, there's very little of that. She includes Aww. things that are, you know, just generally basic Body good... Oil. Herbalism, yeah, like mm-hmm. body oils and herbal baths, and mm-hmm. and she approaches them not only from what does the plant medicinally do, but also what is the spiritual energy mm-hmm. and the symbolic energy of this plant. Mm-hmm. So she talks about things that range from you know, caring for yourself, caring for your family, caring for your household. You know, it's it's African really, American spirituality is the way it's phrased under. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, so I've been really loving that one. Um, another one that I really like, if you're really interested in learning how to approach plants from a more sacred um, perspective, would be the Stephen Herod Bunner's Sacred Plant Medicine. Mm. And he gives you some ideas, some ways to look at plants. He, uh, he gives you an introduction to, I can't remember how many, it's like 10 or 13 or something like that in there. And wow. then um, some suggestions on how to begin making friends with the plants on your own. Well, it already has my attention because it's got a picture of an orchid right there, smack dab in the middle. It's really, it's a pretty book. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then my last one, of course, is the Matthew Wood, which I know is not your favorite, Sue, but I love the Book of Herbal Wisdom. Yes, (laughs) yes. Matthew, this is a really old book, but yeah, but I really, I like, I like the way that he approaches it. It's an energetic, um, it's a very holistic approach. Yeah to recognizing which herbs will be appropriate for, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you open the thing and say, oh, look, these five herbs are potentially what I need for arthritis. And then you go to Matthew Wood and you start looking, and you're like, oh, I've already eliminated three of them just because those three have affinity for these other areas or mm. offer up, or have a tendency to be hot and dry and the problem is wet or right, whatever, right. you know. Yep. So yeah, I, I find right. him helpful for that. Yeah. Well, I do think that herbalists, like with any um, people that have a, a refined focus, you go in waves. Yes. You know, you yeah. really, and oh, all the things you can turn into oils or all the wonderful yes. things you can do <laughs> yeah. with this particular, root plants, this is my thing now. Oh, or, yeah. Or yeah, all things little, astragalus. My or, cabinet, my pantry speaks to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can really Which go off like, tangents. It's like any discipline you get into. Yeah. If you uh-huh. really get into the discipline, then it, it then one, there's not one book that fits all, but, if if he is like me, and he'll oh, want to yeah. get in and get out, mm-hmm. um, then I would recommend the um, the country wisdom and know how from Story Publishers, hmm, which has yeah. got loads of herbal recipes and things to work on. And you don't necessarily have to dig deep, deep into all of the herbal knowledge. You can kind of glean what you need to start an idea, start the off, basics yeah. to experiment yeah, to well. Get the, to get okay. the interest going, it's like making it's like going bringing it back around. It's like making your first herbal beer. Uh-huh. And you have a success with it. Then, hey, I want to do more. Uh-huh. And this, these are great ways to step into that where you don't even realize you're doing it. So you, on one page, you're learning how to build a barn. And then the next page is like, oh, 
I know how to make a decoction now. So that's kind yeah. of a nice way to step in and step out. The other one that does a really good job of that is the Reader's Digest Back to Basics, which is, you know, a 400 and some page book. But the funny part about it is there's only two pages based on, you know, for actual herbalism that you're like specifically says herbal medicine. Right. Right. But yeah. it's got loads of stuff on like right. canning and other ver- ways yeah, to other preserve. Yeah, other things. And- so there's, mm-hmm. that's another way to step into herbalism from the, mm-hmm. not the, and I want to say woo-woo because that doesn't sound right, but mm-hmm. that yeah, kind of heavy I, space of herbalism, uh-huh. you know, yeah. where you can step yeah. in and be, and I dare I say, use it, our moniker, the, a practical approach to it. Right. right. Sure. Right. So, right. Um, that's one I really like. And then, um, we also forgot to mention that if you want to uh, know how some of the herbal beers taste commercially. Oh, right. Um, yes, we, we, we did have it, a show on Yeah, it. we did show 20. We did herbal beer tasting. Mm-hmm. Tapping oh, yeah. the keg. Right. And rediscovering yep. beers of old. I think that yep. was a really fun episode mm-hmm. just because um, it was a chance for us to even try some of the stuff that was available commercially, which is always the up until re- one yeah. and the And up until recently, spruce. it's been this outskirt thing. No one's been really doing it. But as there's so many beers being produced now, people mm-hmm. are like thinking, like you said earlier, they get into it and then they decide, what else can we do? What else can we do? Yes. Oh, yeah. This is what else you can do. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really great. I enjoyed recording with my son. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that yep. was fun. Yep. So another niche that I was thinking about, and we're going to actually be interviewing this author coming up in the next couple of months. Her name is Demetria Clark. Oh, yes. And she wrote a really wonderful practical book on, it's called Aromatherapy and Herbal Remedies for Pregnancy, Birth, and Breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really liked about it is that as a young family or new parents or even grandparents who haven't been doing herbalism but want to help support your, mm-hmm. you know, young families. Yeah, your, grandkids. Your, yeah, grandkids uh-huh. and whatnot. Um, this book offers up an awful lot of wonderful, practical. really practical, yes. really easy recipes. Yeah. And it doesn't push the boundaries in a way that's like, oh, my God, is that going to be safe? Right. It's right. really it She's got research good. behind her stuff. She, she also acknowledges the cultural background behind these plants and mm-hmm. she has used them personally as a doula in, in her own practice right. so it's yeah. not a speculative book right it's not it's a very practical down-to-earth mm-hmm. guide to getting started and anything that she's got in there you know it's safe for the entire family no matter what age right because if it's safe for pregnancy it's pretty much safe for everybody oh, sure yeah so that's another nice way to step into herbalism in an area in a way very, that feels very good gentle safe. way yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. good and then the last point. one, we've there's got one, one more. more herbs for pets. Yes, we've got to cover the pet care. It's you a know, big there's so many of us that want to take good care of our animals, but the veterinary bills can be ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. And so many veterinarians want to give your your animals the first thing they're doing is okay, how many medicines and chemicals can we pump right. into that animal? Here's some amoxicillin. Go yeah, ahead. exactly. Right. And let's process all the food as much as possible. Sure. And, or try to sell the super expensive veterinarian oh, approved yeah. pl- um, <laughs> yeah. food there, yeah. which there's always a ton of. But this and, one's I mean, called yeah. All You Ever Wanted to Know About Herbs for Pets by Mary Tilford. Uh, Wolf Tilford yeah. and Gregory Tilford. Yeah. It's a really wonderful it's a tome. Yes. And it's because yeah, it covers everything, everything from dogs, cats, but also horses. And it other does. Large yeah. animals are in there as well. So. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that it does cover horses. And you can apply much of what it's, they focus on dogs, cats, and horses, Mm -hmm. which are the three, I believe the three largest number of pet owners own one of those three in the the United States. So they're covering the major bases here. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like I said, it's easy to read. Yeah. You know, it's nicely organized. 
they really do talk about some of the other, like don't don't use this for your dog. It's okay for your cat, or vice versa. Yeah, you know, it's not just oh, all herbs are are fine. No, they right. really they have the references lit, written out real good and talking about how to grow it yourself too. Yeah, you know, if you want to. So I, I yeah I agree. That's a really great one. We all have animals in our life that we want to support. Right. Yeah. And well, you know, I definitely approve of veterinary care. It does get expensive. Yes. So for me, a lot of times, just like for my family, the go-to is herbs. And if the herbs won't deal with the problem in a timely fashion, then I go see the doctor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, you know, practical. Yep. For sure. All right. Do you guys have any other I do, recommends? And I, I, I All right. Say this Here we go. This okay. is, this is <laughs> What's your next recommend? Well, aside from the Practical Herbalist books... Oh yeah, our entire herbal folio series, which I think numbers eight now. Yeah. Okay, Holy including cow. medicinal cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, um, actually, that's a second. Well, that's well, an advance. So that's nine, nine folios. Nine, nine oh, folios. My word. Um, mm-hmm. But then we have um, stuff like tea tree and lavender and chili pepper, and so there's mm-hmm. a lot of, and those are really low cost, easy ways to get into learning about a specific herb that we've, we've covered. Mm-hmm. And uh, to coincide with that is the Practical Herbalist website itself. Yeah. has over 350 articles about herbs, herbalism, and recipes yep. mm-hmm. written by written by Sue and Candice and researched and yep. taken care yeah. of. Yeah. Yep. And then finally, as you discovered us, is, is a podcast. We do this mm-hmm. every couple of weeks, and we have a new podcast that comes out, and we talk about herbs and herbalism. Mm-hmm. Right. So make sure to, to take care of um, oh. take care of us by, oh. you know what? And you can't forget the pocket herbal, which gives you wonderful history on each of the herbs. Right. Oh, right. Like, herbal, just, right. Is it like 48 or 50 herbs? I Something. forget how many. There, there's Huge a double, double, double digit awesome. number. But it's a great and way then, to, to discover the um, interesting factoids about the specific herbs and why they well, are. Well, and discover really new ways. Like I, until I read that one, I hate to admit it, I didn't realize that there was a difference between when you use bananas for constipation versus diarrhea. I knew they were good for that, but I didn't understand that, oh, when they're still in the slightly green stage, you use them for one thing, and in the slightly mm-hmm. brown spotty stage, that's for the other. I'm the expert on poop. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but that was awesome because it gave me a tip that allowed me to make good choices in my family mm-hmm. with ease. You know, I, I just hadn't thought to do it. So that was awesome. So there's a lot to to take in here because we gave a ton of resources mm-hmm. yeah. but we covered lots of different areas and i hope we didn't make it too confusing but there is so much to know and i think um, check our show notes. i always like to know um about uh books that other people and experts use so that i can uh, start um going from that foundation so yeah make sure to check our show notes because all of these will be linked uh, mm-hmm. so that you can read them and re- read the other reviews and find out more information about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oh, and if you guys do decide to buy any of these books through Amazon and you click on one of our links, I have to admit, I am going to probably set up the affiliates code. So we'll get a few pennies. Yes. That would be awesome because if yeah. we get enough few pennies, it adds up to helping pay for the you know, podcasting hosting yeah, fees for the month. Cheaper. And it doesn't cost you, the buyer, yeah. anything more you right. don't even see that so yep. yes right. definitely buy through yeah. us to amazon that only because that only helps us keep us doing what we're doing yes right. please thank you for listening to real herbalism radio your hosts have been candace hunter and sue sierra lupe to find more information and recipes from today's show or to leave a comment or suggestion visit us online at realherbalismradio.com if you're feeling social you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash the practical herbalist don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at Amazon.com. Use the search terms Practical Herbalist. 
This show has been sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. You can visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Until next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and The Practical Herbalist.